0: Hello, and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Lulu. And I'm your co-host, Pi. Are you a Greek mythology nerd? Do you like superhero comics? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, the ending of the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice is kind of a downer. I wish Orpheus could just successfully barge his way into hell and get his spouse back. If you have, then boy, this episode might be for you. Today, we'll be talking about two superhero comics that take inspiration from the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, Angela, Queen of Hell, and Midnighter in Apollo. We'll discuss how the comics fuse mythology and the superhero mythos into two unique and satisfying love stories that subvert the stereotypical tragic narratives around LGBTQ characters. Angela, Queen of Hell is a Marvel comic written by Marguerite Bennett. And illustrated by stephanie hans and kim Jacinto. it stars angela aka Aldruff odin's daughter a slightly complicated character for marvel comics originally co-created as an antagonistic angel and bounty hunter by writer neil gaiman and artist todd mcfarlane in 1993. angela faced some legal disputes for a couple of years between the two of them over her character gaiman eventually won and in 2013 she was integrated into the larger marvel comics universe in 2014, her current backstory was more firmly established, and in 2015, she had the solo run, Angela, Asgard's Assassin, written by Karen Gillen and Marguerite Bennett, and illustrated by Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans. Angela, Queen of Hell comes after that, but I'm gonna give a little bit of background on Asgard's Assassin for plot and character reasons before diving in. Don't worry, Asgard's Assassin is also totally worth reading. Yes, very fun, would highly recommend it. Asgard's Assassin stars Angela, Thor's secret older sister and the daughter of Odin and Freya, who is kidnapped by angels and raised as one of them. If you're kind of thinking, hey, isn't there another character who's Thor's secret older sister from the movies? Yes, that's Hela. It's complicated. Comics and movies are pretty different. Anyway, so Angela is kidnapped from Asgard as a child and raised by angels as one of them. She grows up to become a very awful neutral bounty hunter, who's not super happy to learn that she's actually one of the Asgardians, a race that she's been raised to hate her whole life. Angels in this universe are pretty different from our idea of them. They live in a fortress in space and they're very obsessed with balance and debts. They can also die, though they don't go to heaven or hell afterwards, which is something important to keep in mind for later. Angela has mostly been running around slaying monsters and paying debts prior to learning she's actually a secret Asgardian princess with her partner in crime and bard, Sarah. Sarah is a new character created for this comic. I love Sarah, I just wanna say in advance. is um, she, the best. She is the best. She's a warrior bard and magician. She's also notable for being a trans woman of color. Marvel Comics does not have a lot of trans characters and also like not a lot of women of color. Um, Sarah is also an angel. Unlike Angela, she actually is an angel. Angels who are assigned male at birth are rare, and they're kept cooped up in temples. Sarah, who knew she wasn't a guy and wanted a life of venture, escaped with Angela prior to the events of Asgard's Assassin, and they've just been kind of bopping around the galaxy being partners in crime, doing shenanigans and heroics in equal amounts. Their relationship like, isn't explicitly romantic in Asgard's Assassin, but they're obviously pretty close, and they trust each other and have each other's back. Um, Stephanie Hans illustrates the past flashbacks of Angela and Sarah's meeting and adventures. The art is gorgeous, I love Stephanie Hans' art. Asgard's assassin is kicked off when Angela's reunion with her Asgardian family goes kind of badly and she kidnaps her recently born younger sister. We eventually learn that this baby is basically the Asgardian antichrist who is possessed by Surtur, an evil fire monster. You might also remember from Thor Ragnarok if you're the kind of person who keeps up with Marvel movies. After getting chased around space by Thor for a while and bumping into the Guardians of the Galaxy, Angela yeets her baby into the furnaces of heaven to purge Surtur out of her, therefore mostly resolving that problem. However, there's also been a mysterious subplot throughout the comic, which is that at one point before the series began, Sarah died in battle and came back. But how is that possible when angels don't go anywhere after they die? Angela is certain that this is really Sarah and not an imposter in disguise, because she asked her three questions only Sarah would have known, and Sarah answered correctly when she returned. But she's still kind of suspicious. At the end of Asgard's Assassin, it's revealed this actually wasn't Sarah, but Malekith of the elves taking her form. Freya, who was pissed at her daughter being kidnapped by angels, has actually arranged it so angels go become slaves in the afterlife when they die. Sarah, who died several years ago, has basically been hanging out there suffering. Malachith met Sarah in the underworld, and he calls her your song, your soul, your Sarah at one point, which is sort of the first hint that their relationship isn't just partners in crime, but also romantic. Um, and Sarah told him to go find Angela. The comic then ends on Angela saying, I'm going to hell. The next series that comes after Asgard's assassin is Angela, Queen of Hell, which is mostly the one we're going to be talking about in this episode. It's written by Marguerite Bennett and illustrated by Kim Jacinto and Stephanie Hans. Basically, it's just Angela going to hell to get her girl back. Sarah still has like a fair amount to do though. She actually narrates because Angela doesn't have an internal monologue. Um, And she's a little bit pissed that Angela didn't come get her earlier. They reunite in the afterlife, but Sarah points out that she is still dead and there is no possible way that she can escape from the underworld permanently because she as an angel is now tied to the afterlife to become one of Hella's slaves. The only possible way that Angela can save Sura is not simply by bringing her back to life, but by conquering Hell itself, which she can do by passing three challenges and conquering the current queen of Hell, Hella, which is mostly what this mini series follows the events of. Angela's job is even more hardcore than Orpheus's was because she has to not only get her girlfriend back but also become queen of hell in order to do so. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's a good setup for a superhero comic because there is a strong relationship you care about at the heart of it, but also some fun action and some cool mythology. This comic series also makes it clear that Angela and Sarah's relationship is romantic and always has been. And you get some excellent full page spreads of them kissing and generally being girlfriends even in the first issue of the volume yeah you get one of a flashback which is gorgeously illustrated by stephanie hans and another one when sarah and angela reunite in the afterlife illustrated by kim jacinto i also just want to say that i don't personally love jacinto's art as much as hans's or jimenez's mostly because i feel like sarah is drawn As a little bit skinnier and lighter skin than she should be, which I don't super appreciate. Angela is kind of like a stereotypical, like, tall, busty babe who's, like, wearing a chainmail bikini for a lot of it. But I like that Sarah is kind of, like, stouter, curvier, dark-skinned character who, like, wears functional armor, which is not something you see a lot in comics. I didn't hugely appreciate that I feel like she looks a little bit less like herself in this run than she usually does. I like that Angela Asgard's assassin is a little bit low-key about their relationship. They're just kind of partners in crimes. Like they obviously care about each other. They got each other's backs. They've gone on adventures. But Queen of Hell just like goes for it. And is like Sarah and Angela are madly in love and Angela will tear down hell to get her back. I also really appreciated that even though the series is about Angela saving Sarah. Sarah is never really just a damsel or a reward. Their relationship also isn't uncomplicated because they've been apart and they've changed. Sarah, in addition to being Angela, is also a powerful bard who has a lot of magical knowledge, and she helps Angela through the three trials with the help of a new character called Leah, who I thought was quite fun. Yes, one side effect of Orpheus and Eurydice retellings is that the Eurydice character can often be kind of passive and just there to be rescued, but this series really feels like it's about Angela and Sarah. Sarah gets some excellent witty one-liners and also occasionally breaks the fourth wall to talk to the audience, which really cements her as a unique and fun character. She's very self-aware of also being in an Orpheus and Eurydice narrative, which is kind of fun. At one point when she and Angela are discussing how they're going to conquer hell and save each other, she says, it's going to be a little Orpheus and Eurydice with a sick Nordic death metal soundtrack. So she's pretty aware that she's in a story, which is kind of a fun trope, especially for a character who is a bard. And does a lot of the exposition and narrating and also makes her feel like an equal part of the narrative because Angela has a sword but Sarah has magic and self-awareness. Uh, I thought when I was reading this for the second time that Angela and Sarah's relationship had some Geralt-Yaskier vibes because Angela is tall and somewhat grouchy and has a sword and Sarah is shorter and very chatty and a bard and I just think that's a fun dynamic so like You know, if you liked The Witcher and you're like, these are good characters, but what if they were lesbians and also canon? Go read this. I've never read The Witcher, but I will take your word for that. Um, Basically, like I said, the major plot of Angela, Queen of Hell is Angela going through three trials to face the current queen of the underworld. So the musical character, who is Sarah, is actually the Eurydice character, which is sort of an interesting twist. But like I said, Sarah is still, I would say, an equal throughout. She narrates and helps Angela out. Plus, there's a good bit when they say it's not just Angela's story or Sarah's story, but Angela and Sarah's story. And we're going to go into spoilers a little bit, which I hope we indicated earlier by talking about how this was going to subvert traditional narrative, stereotypical narratives around LGBT characters. But this does ultimately have a happy ending. And Sarah and Angela are reunited. Angela successfully curb stomps her way through three trials and defeats Hella. And not only save Sarah, but also all the other angels who've been enslaved in hell by Freya's bargain. There's a really great line where Angela says, all this I did out of love. Can you even imagine what I would do out of hatred? And I like it because it really just cements this story as a story about two characters who just really love each other and are willing to conquer hell to be together. And as someone who enjoys a good power couple in superhero comics, I appreciated it quite a lot. Also, there is another part of the series I really liked which is that obviously when you get to the big twist at the end of Asgard's Assassin and realize that Malakith has been impersonating Sarah the whole time, you're like, oh shit, that wasn't really Sarah. That's kind of a bummer. Like she was fun and had some good lines. And that means this character was not who she thought, who we thought she was the whole time. But Sarah has actually been, reveals that she's been communicating through Malakith for the entire first run, which I like. And she tells Angela that I was always with you even when I wasn't. Which I like because it's kind of like, no, the story did not erase Sarah. Her importance in the story was Sarah. She was there the whole time, which I like appreciated as someone who latched onto Sarah when I immediately saw her and was like, ooh, I like that one. And then was like, No, what do you mean it wasn't her? I agree. I also really loved Angela's line about having done all of this out of love, because throughout the comic run, she's a pretty stoic character, like Sarah often has to tell other characters what she's thinking. Uh, but then you get to this part and you realize that Angela really does care very much about Sarah. And she's done all of this, not because she like wants revenge necessarily, but just because this is the only way that she can think of to get the woman that she loves back. And it was just a really great moment. And I just loved the fact that these characters go through hell literally, but they get to come out on the other side and they still have each other, unlike the original Orpheus and Eurydice story. What you said about Angela being a very stoic character is interesting because she's so stoic, she doesn't even have an internal monologue. Like I said, Sarah is usually the one who is doing exposition or even just like describing the narrative. And we also know that angels are obsessed with paying debts and being balanced. And one of the reasons that Angela feels she needs to rescue Sarah from the underworld is because she didn't repay her debt to Sarah. She's like obsessed with the fact that Sarah gave her this flute and taught her how to play it years ago when they first met each other. And it becomes kind of this motif where she's like, Sarah, I will save you from the underworld and pay this debt for the flute that you gave me. But it's not really about the flute. It's about that she loves Sarah, but that's just how Angela sees the world. She sees it as a way of balancing debts, but it's not just like that cold and clinical exchanging money or goods or services. It's that she loves Sarah. This is just how she sees the world. But I like that there is that moment where it's acknowledged that Angela didn't just do this because she owes Sarah or because Sarah is helpful or because Sarah is a good bard. She did it because she genuinely loves Sarah and wants her back. And I thought that was just like a sweet moment. Yeah like she leads a whole revolution in hell to free the angels and get them out of being hella slaves but this was all kicked off because she wanted to save one woman and then she kind of created an entire revolution along the way. The um, actual trials against Hela don't take up the entire run because Angela and Sarah establish an afterlife for angels. And then Angela abdicates, giving her throne to one of the dead angels. And then the last two issues are literally just them being domestic in Brooklyn and dealing with um, kind of this subplot from another Angela comic that was part of a larger crossover event that is not incredibly relevant to this. And I love that we get to see them be domestic it's an absolutely beautiful two issues because you've seen these characters like hacking up evil zombies and challenging the queen of hell to duel. And then you get two full issues that are just them getting ramen in New York city and trying to build Ikea furniture and adopting a daughter. And it's just very good content. I think the main reason there are these two issues at the end is because Marguerite Bennett knew that the series was ending and wanted to end it on a really happy note. I could have seen the series go on a little bit longer. There are some like plot threads that I could see have being picked up and spun into another arc involving Angela's angel mother or something like that. And also their characters, who whole, their whole thing is going around the universe having adventures. And I think they probably could have continued to spin this out from a miniseries into an ongoing series. But I think Margaret Bennett knew that it was ending and decided to end it not just on a climactic battle, but on like two issues of them just being very cozy and sweet and in love and reunited, which I love. They also adopt Leah, who is a handmaiden of Hela, who helped them on their quest. And Leah brings along um, a hellhound that she owns. So it's literally just them hanging out in an apartment in Brooklyn with their daughter and their dog. And it's really sweet. Sometimes they fight angels in Central Park or monsters made out of ramen, but the last two issues have a much, like, lighter and happier tone than the prior volume, and I really liked it because, you know, it's so rare to get to see a comic that's just, like, two women living happily in their apartment in Brooklyn doing adventures, but ultimately being safe and happy together. It's just a good note to end on, because it starts off so dark with Sarah literally trapped in the underworld, and dead, and you know, and a whole race of angels enslaved by the queen of hell because Freya was so angry that her daughter was stolen away. Right. But then it ends on this really like happy, positive note where like they love each other and their love is enough to have saved each other. And they just like are kind of chilling in Brooklyn, having a good time. And I feel like I just really appreciate it and loved it. And it felt like a satisfying end to the story to see these two characters who had been separated and had gone through hell and had fought like demons made out of fear and sacrifice a lot for each other just to have kind of these two issues to breathe and be in love. And it's the kind of thing you don't often see in superhero comics because they're often so much about like the plot and the next big bad guy and like crossover events. But it it just felt like so sweet and satisfying to end on this note of them just like being madly in love but not having to fight monsters, just being together and being happy. And you know, Orpheus and Eurydice, the original story is a story with a tragic ending. Orpheus looks back uh, when walking out of the underworld and he loses his wife. But I think that giving uh, Angela and Sarah a sad or even bittersweet ending would have felt wrong for this comic series because it feels different when you're talking about two women, one of whom is a trans woman of color, to have their ending be anything less than happy. It just feels like it would play too much into the bear your gaze tropes. So I really appreciate that although The original story that this is based off of has a tragic ending that is very compelling and beautiful. The writers of this comic were instead like, well, maybe in this version they get to be happy because they deserve it. Exactly. I love that they could have so easily been like, well, Orpheus and Eurydice has a sad ending. Of course these characters have to have a sad ending. We're just being true to the original myth. But I think these two writers, Kieran Gillen and Marguerite Bennett, who created and then wrote these characters, I think know what they mean, especially within the context of like a larger franchise that doesn't have a lot of women who are couples, doesn't have a lot of trans characters, doesn't have a lot of LGBTQ characters of color, and knew that it would be important to give these characters a happy ending, which I like because it takes a story and tweaks it in so many ways. You know, there's angels and there's Norse mythology as well as Greek mythology. And the Orpheus and Eurydice character are two women in love. And they finally take like kind of the biggest, most important change and give them an ending that's like, unambiguously really happy and I think that means a lot especially because there are so many superhero couples that are just like unhappy because they're always like dying and marrying their clones and getting tossed into the future and being brought back to life and being possessed that it just felt nice to see these two characters literally conquer hell because of the power of their love have like a totally sweet happy ending where like the biggest problem is like how is Angela gonna get a job so they can buy ramen and stuff like that yeah i totally agree and you know besides just having a happy ending i think it's a really good comic it has an excellent mix of like bittersweet sadness and humor and the different illustration styles are all really good the fight scenes are well illustrated it just the three trials are fun and i think that like even if this wasn't a central love story it's still a really good comic like they just did a great job of it i think it's just a good comic like stephanie hans's art is gorgeous and i think. Sarah adds some really fun moments of humor and fourth wall breaking. There's like a really funny moment when she's explaining Leah of Hell's backstory to Angela and is like, "Uh, read more Gillen, you'll understand, which is obviously a reference to the fact that Kieran Gillen has written a lot of comics involving Asgardian characters for Marvel. And there's like a funny thing where Sarah's like, oh, well, this is the penultimate issue in in, in the second to last issue. So there's like some fun moments of humor and fourth wall breaking, but also, some kind of big, epic, cool literary moments because there's like allusions to classic literature and Norse mythology and Greek mythology and also just like some badass moments with like hellhounds and swords and rebellions. And it really has like it covers such a big range of tones and genres and moods in such a short time, but didn't really feel like disjointed to me, which I think is impressive, considering something that starts off as an epic Orpheus and Eurydice tragedy in hell ending with two people being domestic in modern-day Brooklyn could easily feel kind of weird and discord, but like, it it works. Heck, it doesn't even stay just with Asgardian and Norse mythology, because at one point in Asgard's Assassin, Sarah and Angela hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, you know, if you like those guys, they also turn up in this. Basically, come for the stabby warrior, stay for the lesbian love story. I really can't think of a better way to describe that miniseries than this. It's good. If you guys have ever been like, oh my God, I didn't know that Flora had a cool bounty hunter, older sister, who like at one point conquers hell because she loves her wife so much. Now, you know, you have no excuse go read this comic. It's great. Our second comic that we're going to be talking about is a DC comic, which is, you know, not Marvel. Um. It's a DC comic called Midnighter and Apollo, written by Steve Orlando and illustrated by Fernando Blanco, and the characters are, of course, Midnighter and Apollo. Like Angela, Midnighter and Apollo have a slightly complicated comics history backstory because they were originally created for the Wildstorm comics in the 90s and were on a superhero team called The Authority together. Uh, They're one of the first, like, prominent gay married couples in superhero comics, which is pretty cool. Uh, However, Wildstorm Comics was then absorbed into the DC universe um, when Wildstorm was bought by DC. So now the Batman parody character sometimes hangs out with the Bat family. Uh, And the characters have kind of been like rebooted into a new continuity, I believe. I haven't actually read the original Wildstorm Comics, so I can't tell you entirely what the differences are, but this comic series stands pretty well on its own. Steve Orlando also wrote a Midnighter comic series that ran for two volumes before this mini-series, which uh, ties into Midnighter and Apollo in a little bit. So basically, Midnighter and Apollo are two superheroes that are kind of Batman and Superman if they were gay and married and killed more people. Midnighter was created um, to be like a basically a human weapon. He has a supercomputer in his head that allows him to calculate fights against opponents really fast and win any fight before it's actually happened. He's also a genetically enhanced person that heals faster than regular people. And unlike Batman, although he is a vigilante, he does actually kill people. So, you know, when everyone's debating about how Zack Snyder's Batman should or shouldn't kill people, you could just go read some Midnighter comics and get basically the same experience. Apollo, despite his name, is not actually a Greek god. He was once a regular human who was kidnapped by aliens and experimented on to try and create someone with powers similar to Superman's. So now he has solar abilities and he can also fly, so hence his name, Apollo. I liked both of these characters a lot. I feel like you could say that they're just gay Batman and Superman, but they felt like their own people to me. I also want to clarify that Pi referred to them as married earlier, but they're not actually married in this continuity. I think they were married and had an adopted child back in Wildstorm comics, but when they were absorbed into DC... DC decided they didn't really want to have as many married superheroes because I guess that's just how they roll for some reason. So now they're just dating and they don't have a daughter at this moment in time. Their relationship is also like a bit complicated because throughout the Midnighter solo run, they're broken up for various legitimate issues that come along with being vigilantes, but they do get back together at some point in the Midnighter Apollo series. They're like unequivocally, obviously in a relationship. They just are not married. Yeah, like Lulu said, due to the reboot, they're not married right now. Although I do hope that they'll get married again at some point because I think DC is wrong in thinking that married superhero couples are inherently boring. Uh, So, you know, one can hope that they'll get married at some point. So like Lulu said, the Midnighter um, comic series by Steve Orlando ties into this a little bit, but basically all you really need to know is who the characters are and that they were broken up for a while because dating while you're a superhero with Tabachi is hard, and then they got back together. I would still recommend reading the Midnighter solo run if you're going to read Midnighter and Apollo, though. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I'm not the kind of person who loves dark and gritty superhero comics, but I thought this one was pretty solid. There's cool action, some interesting world building. It's a good introduction to Midnighter as a character, and I wasn't super confused even though I knew literally nothing about him. So I do hope if you're new to these characters, you understand that we enjoy talking about spoilers on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's important to know. Um, I also agree. I enjoyed the Midnighter miniseries. It was also my introduction to the character, although I had vaguely heard about him before. Uh, this was the first time I would actually read anything that he was in. And I enjoyed it a lot because it's mostly Midnighter being like, a badass enhanced vigilante who kills people, but also he keeps going on blind dates and rambling about how much he misses his ex-boyfriend. And at one point he teams up with Dick Grayson to kill some supervillains and Dick has to be keep being like, please don't kill those guys. The Bat family doesn't kill people. So it's a lot of fun. And at the end of the series, he and Apollo manage to resolve their relationship issues and get back together, which is nice because I love it when superheroes are able to resolve their issues in a real and legitimate way. Also, I love that Midnighter is, like, super tough guy who, like, punches bad people and isn't above killing and, like, wears black and lots of leather and is, like, really hardcore. He's also, like, good with small children because that's, like, a good trope in superhero comics. Yes, it's a very good trope. He does have that in common with Batman as well. I think it's especially sweet because uh, Midnighter himself is basically, like, an enhanced weapon person and he doesn't have any own mem- any memories of his own childhood so it makes it especially nice when he's sweet to children and like talk to them nicely after rescuing them from bad guys i think he's actually a real interesting character like i know a lot of people just describe him as batman and he's gay but he kills people but i actually think he's on his own interesting character because He's so enhanced that he doesn't actually remember anything about who he was before he was Midnighter. He doesn't remember his family. He doesn't remember his name. He just knows that he's a living weapon and all he is is a vigilante, which I think is super interesting. Like, it is certainly a very gritty take on a superhero, but it brings up all these interesting issues of identity and morality and who you are. And, like, he is literally a living weapon, which I think is, like, interesting and really flushes him out just beyond, like, oh guys, there's this character and he's just like Batman, but get this, he's gay and he actually kills people. Like, I think he's legitimately interesting character on his own, which I think is a plus. Like, there's a great quote where he's like, you think I like how I was made? I can't go back. Can't help what was done to me. I can only point it in the right direction. So he knows that he isn't a great person, but he thinks for the greater good, he does what he does. Because if he doesn't beat up bad guys and kill them and stuff. They'll do worse stuff. So I think he was an interesting character. It's hard for me to like get on board with like very gritty superhero comics because superheroes are kind of an inherently ridiculous concept. Like you're putting on a costume and beating up people in back alleys because you want to fix the justice system. Like it's hard to think of that in real life terms. But I enjoyed what this two volume solo run did with Midnight's character and how it like Kind of fleshes him out as someone who has these issues of identity and morality but also wants to do the right thing even when the right thing isn't pretty oh i definitely agree one of my favorite tropes in superhero media is characters that are basically living weapons but also have to grapple with like you know the morality of being a weapon and also having to have emotions and friends and a life outside of being a killing machine and i think that midnighter's character does a good job of that because he does go around beating up or killing bad guys a lot but he also has friends and he has a boyfriend that he loves a lot and it's fun to watch those two things coexist even if sometimes it causes drama like in his mini-series so basically at the end of his miniseries, midnighter and apollo are back together and they're a badass enhanced superhero couple fighting bad guys together and um that's basically how their miniseries opens as well. They're fighting some subway pirates. Don't question it. I guess that's the thing in DC comics, but I'm not an expert on it. They're just they're pirates in a subway. Um, so there's a fun scene where they like beat up some bad guys together and have some fun banter in between um, beating up the bad guys and killing some of them and they rescue some kids. And then there's a couple of fun scenes of them being, domestic and having some friends over for dinner, but unfortunately, because this is a superhero comic, there is a plot, and the plot is that a bad guy from their past is out to get them, and he's decided the best way to hurt them both is by killing Apollo and sending his soul to hell to be tormented by demons. Not a fun way to go. So unfortunately, uh, during a fight, a demon shows up and basically kills Apollo and takes his soul to the underworld, and Midnighter being a very determined guy who loves his boyfriend a lot is not about to like sit around and see Apollo end up in hell for eternity so he decides to go to hell and specifically he says looks like a lot of people are going to get their wish I'm finally going to hell which I thought was a fun line because Midnighter has a kind of dark sense of humor that I enjoy very much. Uh, this comic also taught me a bit about the history of LGBT characters in uh, DC Comics, which I didn't know a lot about, because in order to get to hell, the knighter who has no magic has to go ask a character to like help him open a portal to hell, and he goes to this guy called Gregorio De Vega, who is, I believe, one of the first gay characters in DC Comics, but he was like super minor and didn't turn up in more than like one comic. He's basically Doctor Strange, but gay, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to Gregorio and is like, "Hey, can you?" help me get to the underworld, and so he does. And Gregorio's like, okay, I can help you get to the underworld to get your husband back. Well, not your husband, your boyfriend in this continuity. Um, And so thanks to that, Midnighter goes to hell and basically is like, I'm going to go beat up all the demons until I get my boyfriend's soul back and so help anyone that tries to stop me. Uh, And of course, during this comic, Apollo is in hell. And I liked this miniseries it isn't just about Midnighter because you also get Apollo's perspective in it as well. It's called Midnighter and Apollo after all. So while his boyfriend is busy going to ask wizards to help him get to the underworld and punching demons, um, Apollo is being held prisoner by this demon called Neuron, uh, who is basically making him play a game of evil monopoly where he has to like List all of his sins so Neuron can kind of try to break him and make him believe that he lives in hell. It's kind of messed up. I love it. It was a fun concept. Uh, And so Midnighter fighting a bunch of demons in the underworld is kind of interspersed with Apollo's discussions with Neuron about whether or not he really belongs there. You also learn a little bit more about Apollo's backstory, which is that he was a regular dude who got kidnapped by aliens and was experimented on them. Um, which I liked because you know a fair amount about Midmiter's backstory going into this but a little bit less about Apollo. So it kind of gives you sort of more equal focus on both characters by having Apollo have a perspective even when he's in hell. Yes and I really liked Apollo in this comic as well because he's in a bad place, he's basically dead, his soul is being held prisoner by a demon that's trying to slowly torment him into believing that he belongs in hell but he's like absolutely determined. He's like, no, I don't belong here. I know that I've done bad things. I've killed people, but I did it for a good cause and you are not going to be the person that breaks me. But he gives a really good speech at one point about how Neuron is not the worst thing that he's encountered because he was kidnapped by aliens. His own dad basically threw him out when he came out as gay. And this weird demon guy with a terrible beard is not going to be the thing that breaks him. And I really appreciated that because similarly to Queen of Hell, this comic doesn't have the Eurydice character be completely passive. Apollo has his own schemes going on in Hell to try and get out. He has his own perspective. He's definitely his own character and not just like a passive person to be rescued. Because while Midnighter is, like I said earlier, curb stomping his way through Hell to get Apollo back and making some questionable magical bargaining things, Apollo is sort of playing his own con with Neuron the demon and he makes a deal with Neuron. that If Neuron can explain why he picked the name Apollo, he will hand over his soul willingly and this becomes like an important Chekhov's gun that you don't quite realize the significance of until later on in the comic because Neuron or Neuron, however you say it, goes, oh well of course you picked the name Apollo because you see yourself like a god because you're guilty of the sin of pride except that's not really why he picked the name Apollo. Yes, I loved the climax of this comic. I thought it was really well done because basically what happens is that Midnighter uh, kicks his way through a bunch of demons in a lot of very cool and well-illustrated fight scenes. This comic has really good fight scenes, which is great because that's a thing that the characters do a lot. He headbutts a bullet into a demon's head at one point. It was kind of badass, not gonna lie. It's very badass it was also a nice parallel to like a soft tender forehead touching scene between the knight and apollo earlier in the comic and i just thought that was a really funny comparison yeah like right before he goes off to hell he still has like apollo's body that's like kind of laid out in like this inner sanctum because he was trying to bring him back to life but he has a and- soul because his soul is in hell yeah minus his soul and he sort of like touches his forehead to apollo and is like i'm gonna get you back so then it's kind of got like fun parallel he's like apollo his, like, he's he was nice to Apollo earlier, but uh, Midnighter's forehead can also <laughs> induce a lot of violence. Yeah. They're both really nice scenes. One, because it's, like, a sweet, tender moment with a character that's usually kind of, like, harsh and dark. And the other one, because, like, he headbutted a bullet into a demon's head. That's badass. It just, it was badass. Like, I'm not the kind of person who loves violence in comics, but I was just like, okay, that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> okay, so... Back to the plot. So what happens is that Midnighter gets down to hell after killing his way through basically an army of demons. And he sees that Apollo has been trapped in, basically it looked like a giant glass test tube. We should also mention that um, Midnighter has acquired this magical item that lets him channel a sliver of an angelic power into him, but only for a very short amount of time. Yeah, he is on a serious time limit in hell. He was given a single candle and when that candle burns out, he will be stuck in hell and the portal will be closed forever. So he and Apollo have a very limited amount of time to, you know, rescue his boyfriend and get out of hell without all the demons killing them. So that put like a nice uh, ticking clock on the events of the comic as well. It really raises the stakes because you know they have until the candle burns down for the portal to close and Midnighter can only channel this angelic power he's acquired for a couple of minutes before it burns through his body and kills him so let me tell you i was stressed when i was reading this comic (laughs) his candles aren't very big they don't burn very long and there was a lot of demons to kill so you know you kind of spend the whole time being like is he gonna get there is he gonna run out of time what if they rescue each other and then they run out of time anyway uh so he gets he gets to the castle where Apollo's being held prisoner and he sees apollo being held prisoner and basically like a big glass jar uh and the demon is like it's too late i have your boyfriend you can't get him back it's too late um i won and midnighter basically gets into a fist fight with the devil because he's that kind of person uh and he gets beaten up a lot and he eventually does manage to like also beat up the devil but things aren't going so great for him because he's running out of time and the longer he fights the demon um the less time he has to actually get out of hell with Apollo. And then there's a really fun plot twist, because you learn that actually uh, Neron was not able to correctly guess why Apollo called himself Apollo, so he had to set him free. And the Apollo that we've been seeing held prisoner in the castle this whole time since Midnader got there is actually fake. And I definitely went whoa when I got there at that moment, because I had not realized that the fake Apollo was not the real one. And so Apollo has actually been flying around hell for the last couple of pages trying to get a way out but unfortunately he can't find one because there's like only one portal leading out of hell and that's where Vindator came from but so he hears Vindator's voice in a super dramatic and very good moment he hears it hears his voice like all the way across hell while he's busy flying around trying to find a way out and he's like oh shit, that's my boyfriend he must have come to rescue me except I'm free, which means that he's in trouble, and I have to go rescue him now. And it's a really good moment. So basically, he comes back and rescues the Niter, as like, oh yeah, uh, I'm free, because Neron couldn't guess the answer to my question. He can't guess why I'm really called Apollo. He guessed wrong. Uh, So he basically grabs the Niter, who's been beaten up by the devil quite a lot by this point, and together they fly out of the portal um, of hell and back into the human world, and they save the day and they win. It's just so satisfying. It's excellent. Like I was I was very stressed when I was reading this because we have the candle melting down and we have Midnighter getting more exhausted and his fight brain computer thing isn't working in hell. And Apollo seems to be trapped in this giant glass jar. And like, it's really hard when your final boss is like literally the king of hell to think the characters are going to prevail. But then it was satisfying and it was great because I was less stressed when I was reading Angela, Queen of Hell, because it opens up with the, the first panel is Angela and Sarah in kind of this flash forward with Hela kneeling before them, and they've already obviously succeeded, and we know they conquer Hell. We just don't exactly know how. But with Midnight or Apollo, you don't actually know how it ends. And I was like, I mean, I'm assuming things turn out okay, but I'm still pretty stressed right now. Yeah. And so when we actually got to the ending, and it had like this fun reversal of the dynamic where Apollo actually has to go rescue Midnighter and then they fly out of hell together after, you know, defeating a bunch of demons. I was like, phew, thank God. Okay, I wasn't sure that they were going to make it, but they do. And it's just a really satisfying, epic moment in the comic and I loved it a lot. Also, the funny part is that you read this miniseries and the Midnighter solo run before me. So I was kind of live texting you my reactions to it. And right before I started the miniseries, I was like, I really just have, like, one wish, and it's that I want Apollo to dramatically bridle-carrying Midnighter because, personally, one of my favorite tropes is, like, when there's superheroes and one can fly and one can't, like, one of them's being dramatically carried by the other one, I just think it's fun. And I was like, that is my one wish out of this, and you were like, I'm not going to tell you anything, but then the entire climactic scene where they're leaving hell is just Apollo dramatically bridal carrying Midnighter, which was exactly what I wanted out of this comic run. <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny to me when you were telling me that, and I I could not tell you that you were going to be correct because I wanted to see your reactions in real time. There I is also that part a lot because the has just basically channeled part of an angel in order to like destroy a lot of demons, but it kind of burned through his body and he's not doing so great. So Apollo has to, like, pick him up and fly him out of hell. And it also has a really funny line where Midnighter is not sure if he's going to make it out of hell. And he decides that, like, he wants his last line to every that he ever says is, like, telling his boyfriend that he looks hot, which is very valid of him. <laughs> that was funny. Also, there's a funny moment where, like, there's a demon that looks exactly like Midnighter that he starts fighting in, like, a traditional, like, oh, my God, you're facing down your evil mirror image trope um and Apollo like immediately smites him because he knows which one is in midnight Air. that was great I love it yeah I love it when stuff like that happens it's just it, they make a really good battle couple because they have totally different power sets but they um fight together really well and they know each other's strengths and weaknesses so even if they're in hell and have both been through a lot they make a really good battle couple and I greatly enjoy that kind of thing in terms of them being like as you would call it like a battle couple i also liked that their relationship isn't uncomplicated and perfect because they have very different power sets and this has also led them to have like very different fighting techniques and slightly different moral codes apollo is like you know he's the golden boy and midnighter is like the guy who will beat you up in a back alley and there's sort of this like thread that runs throughout their relationship which is this conflict over Midnighter's extreme methods. And even once they reunited at the end of the Midnighter and Apollo run, we see this conflict isn't totally resolved at the start of the miniseries. <laughs> I would like to say, Apollo, maybe there's a better time to discuss your boyfriend's morality and like habits of killing people than like right after you've had sex. But that's how the miniseries introduces it. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of this thread that runs throughout it because Midnighter is someone who fights for good, but he does it in a very harsh way. He has no qualms about killing if he thinks it's for a good cause. And that causes some conflict between them because Apollo is like, well, maybe we should use less extreme methods. But like by the end of the run, they both have kind of acknowledged that sometimes you have to use extreme methods against extreme forces. And the reason that Apollo picked his name is not because he sees himself as a god. Obviously, it's fitting because he has like solar powers and Apollo is the god of the sun, but it's actually in relation to the myth of Apollo and Hyacinth, where um, Apollo tries to save this mortal lover from going to Hades, because Apollo sees himself as someone who his job is to drag people into the light and to always believe in them. And he believes in Midnighter, even if Midnighter doesn't necessarily believe in himself. I think Midnighter is someone who has kind of made peace with the idea that he might go to hell if it's for a good cause. But I think Apollo is like, no, I believe in you. You're a good person. By the end of the series, I acknowledge that like, even if you use extreme methods, I think you do them for a good cause and your heart is in the right place, which I thought was quite an interesting, like it's not cynical, but it's also not unrealistic. So I thought this was sort of an interesting take on superhero morality because so often there will be these superheroes like Daredevil or Batman who have like a really strict no kill code, but like one, like inflict extreme violence on their victims that so like obviously you're going to kill them. And two, you think of as being kind of less ineffective. So Midnighter is sort of, a darker and grittier take on a superhero one who's not afraid to kill in the pursuit of justice and the way that they kind of wove that throughout is interesting to me yes i really loved that plotline. i'm obviously not like pro murder or anything but it can be sometimes dissatisfying in superhero comics to see someone be faced with like a person who is really awful and evil and still refuse to kill them because it makes them like the better person so i thought this comic was interesting because Didn't is not afraid to look a super villain in the eyes and be like, yeah, you're a shitty person, I'm going to kill you so you can't hurt anyone else. And I also thought it was really interesting, as you said, that Apollo comes to, like, I guess, accept that, like, sometimes you have to do extreme things to extreme people. And I also, I love the fact that this ties into the way that Apollo was able to escape hell, because the demon holding him prisoner neuron incorrectly guesses that Apollo calls himself Apollo because... Uh, he believes he's a god, and he doesn't consider that it's because of the story of Apollo and Hyacinth, where Apollo turns his lover Hyacinth into flowers in order to save him from going to Hades. So it kind of has, like, this other element of, like, midnight and Apollo's love for each other is what's able to save each other and make sure that Apollo's not trapped in hell anymore. And I thought that was deeply satisfying. It was also fun to see a mythology reference, because this story doesn't explicitly say anything about Orpheus and Eurydice, the story, but it does mention Greek mythology. So I thought that was a cool little nod. So we've talked about both of these individually, but I think it'll be kind of interesting to talk about how they work as stories that complement each other and also how they fit into larger narratives of LGBTQ representation, like both within superhero comics and without, because obviously there is kind of this prevalent trope that the lives of LGBTQ characters are more dispensable than the lives of, like, straight and cis characters, which you see with kind of tropes like bury your gaze and characters having unhappy endings and being killed off. But in this, it's it's a very, like, active subversion of those stories. Like, yes, these characters died, and now someone is literally going to go to hell to bring them back and ensure a happy ending. And I love that the ending of... Um, Angela, Queen of Hell, is just like so unambiguously happy. And these two characters have a life ahead of them. And it's like a really good speech where um, Angela, who is kind of this stoic character who sees the world through like debts and bargains and balances, um, kind of gives a speech to Sarah at the end where she's like, I will love you and I will stay with you. And I will support you and defend you for as long as you will have me because you are the thing that I love completely. And you, you love me and stay with me and support me and care for me as long as you will have me because I am the thing that you love me completely. Tell me, Sarah of New York City, do we have a deal? And then it ends on Sarah saying, oh, Angela, deal. Which just like, I love, because it fits into these themes that have been present throughout both Asgard's Assassin and Angela, Queen of Hell, of like bargains and debts. But also it just unambiguously says, these two characters are going to be happy forever. And I love that it adds on that really positive note, even if later comic writers, I think, did not appreciate what Karen Gillen and Marguerite Bennett did with these characters as much. and Ryan won- Michael Bendis do not interact. Yeah, I know. It really pisses me off. I did a little bit of Googling after I finished this to see what these two had been up to because it's been maybe like five years since Angela, Queen of Hell, came out. And I was like, oh, I wonder what they've been up to because Angela is not an A-list Marvel character because she's pretty new and has had a slightly complicated backstory, but she's Thor's sister and Thor is a well-known character. There's always a fair amount of stuff going on with Asgard in comics. And I was disappointed to learn that later comic writers wanted Angela, but not Sarah and had them kind of contrived breakup, which I despise and I think is bad. And I think undermines a lot of the story and I choose to ignore it because I think these two characters are stronger together and they're stronger because they love each other. And I think if you ignore that, you don't fundamentally understand what happened in these comics. So I choose to ignore that. I would love to see them be properly reunited again. Marvel just re- um, announced a pride-themed issue coming out in June that tells some stories of their LGBTQ characters and Kieran Gillen, who's like sort of Angela's secondary co-creator is writing the story. And I'd love to see Angela and Sarah reunited again, because for me, It means a lot that this comic series ends so unambiguously happily with these two characters promising to love and support each other. And like, you really believe in their love because you've seen that they work well in battle. You've seen they've worked well domestically. You've seen like they play off of each other well in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, And I think they're weaker when they're split apart. And Sarah is also just, she's both, I think, a character that's really fun and also groundbreaking because I love characters that are bards and like a little snarky and use magic and are not afraid to break the fourth wall and she's also a trans woman of color which is like really rare in mainstream comics and mainstream media in general so I was kind of disappointed to learn that other writers didn't like take the lessons from this comic which is that like Angela and Sarah love each other and genuinely are stronger characters when they're together so I really hope they get reunited but I was kind of disappointed to learn that Yes, one good thing about Midnighter and Apollo is that they've been an iconic pair together for longer than I've been alive since they were introduced in the 90s. And the current comic writers, I don't think have any plans for splitting them up again, because although they were not together during Steve Orlando's um, Midnighter solo run, I believe it was his plan all along to have them get back together by the end of the solo run. And then he did and had a whole mini series about them. So thankfully, I don't think they're going to be breaking up anytime soon, unlike Angela and Sarah. Funnily enough, DC is also doing some kind of Pride comic event in June, which I believe also has a or and Apollo title, so I guess we'll be getting more content for both of these couples soon, which is nice. I don't think they've been in a ton of things in the last few years, at least. I don't think they've had any more solo runs or miniseries together, um, which is too bad because I think they're really fun. I love the ending of this mini-series. Basically uh, Midnighter is like, did we kick the devil's ass? And Apollo is like, yes. And then they get like a big full-page kiss and it's very nice. And I would have loved to have more adventures with them, although the mini-series is very satisfying on its own end. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would like to see all of these characters in more comics, but I think I would specifically like to see them together as cool power couples because I love it when characters are badass together. And I do think that even if there were some major stumbles in how later comics treated Sarah and Angela's relationship by downplaying how important Sarah is to her and like really sidelining her as a character, I think, I think there is potential to fix that. And I would love to see Sarah come back, especially um, under the pen of a competent writer, maybe one who shares her identities. So like, I. I'm a little bit upset about learning that they broke up, but for me, I can ignore that right now because the two runs that we have these characters together, well, it's sort of three because there's kind of an alternate universe comic called 1602 Angela, Witch Hunter, which is like part of a larger weird crossover event where everything like went Elizabethan for a couple of months and then went back to the normal universe because Marvel comics are just like that. I don't know. For me, I find this run very satisfying, but whenever I consider what happened, I'm like, post this it's a little bit upsetting so i like try to ignore that but i do think it's interesting that two separate superhero comics that feature lgbtq main characters and like specifically gay relationships decided to do Orpheus and eurydice retellings because i think it was a really powerful way to reject these stereotypes of characters because it not only um retells the story to be about a successful love story where someone is brought back from the dead But also really like drives home these characters as people whose like love makes them stronger and more interesting people and work well as teams which i like i feel like there's often like a lot of breaking up and getting back together again interpersonal drama and superhero comics because they've been going on for so long that like everyone has dated each other but i like that these comics feature characters who are like unabashedly like really cool couples that like would literally go to hell for each other and they do it pretty different ways i would say that um angela queen of hell is a little bit more Fun, tongue in cheek, occasionally literary and magical, whereas Mindo and Apollo is very like gritty superhero with cool action. So they're pretty different and they also have different representation in them. But I think they are kind of a fun way to complement each other, especially because they're both from like the two mainstream superhero comic things. I just think it's fun. There's kind of these two parallels to each other. They're pretty different in many ways, but I think if you enjoy what one has to offer, it's worth checking out the other. And it's fun to think about them in conversation with each other. Yeah, I think it's um, a little funny that these comics both came out within a few years of each other, but they're from completely different comic um, publishers. And I don't think there was any intention by the authors to like, make them both be Orpheus and Odyssey retellings coming out at the same time. I think it was just a coincidence, but I do really like that they're both retellings of this myth that aren't tragedies. They're like, they literally are about how these characters would not have made it through these runs if they didn't love each other so much. Sarah and Angela and Midnight and Apollo are both able to, you know, go to hell and curb stomp their way through demons and have a revolution and fist fight the devil because they love each other so much. And I think that works really well with a happier, more uplifting ending of Orpheus and Eurydice because if it had a sad ending, then it kind of felt a little more like they love each other, but, And in this case, it's more like they love each other and that's the most important thing. Yeah, I just enjoy it when the power of love saves the day. This is me revealing that not even like in a romantic way. I also enjoy it when the power of friendship saves the day. But I also enjoy it when there's like cool battles and hellhounds and people headbutting bullets into demons. So like if you like it when the power of love saves the day, but also enjoy cool action and people going to hell, definitely would recommend both of these comics. Very much seconded. I also am excited to see um, in June if these characters and their relationships return. I think Steve Orlando is writing the Midnighter and Apollo series, a like single issue story that's coming out in June, and I, I'm I'm hoping that's good. I don't know what they've been up to in the years since. Maybe they've been on a team. Maybe they haven't. I do feel like Marvel occasionally, Marvel and DC will sometimes like trot out characters for like June only if they're like. their lineup of lgbtq superheroes and i'm a little bit cynical so sometimes i like i don't trust corporations with like treating characters who are not straight white men well as seen with my complaints about how angela and sarah's relationship has been kind of forced apart later but like I'm, i'm a little bit optimistic i would like to see these characters have new stories that are being told by lgbtq comic writers because i think their stories are badass and also contain characters who are cool and love each other very much and even if they're not going to hell again i would love to see further adventures of these four characters yes i believe steve orlando is writing the midnight apollo miniseries comic coming out in june and i'm pretty excited for that as well as sarah and angela because sometimes you just need more content of couples that are willing to go kerb-stomp their way through hell Right. I mean, what more could you want? There's myth illusions. There's um, the power of gay love saving the day. There's magical candles. There's a demon monster made out of ramen noodles. There's a werewolf that, or there's a hellhound that tells you mean things. There's a guy who headbutts a bullet into a demon through the sheer power of gay love. Like, what more could you want from comics? Nothing, really. And with that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you'd like to keep up with our further podcasting misadventures, you can find us at neverthetwinsshallmeet.com, on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, or shoot us an email at neverthetwinsshallmeet at gmail.com.